0: The main Summer Games Fest showcase has come and gone, and it was okay. For June 9th, 2023, This this is Let's Play Daily Gaming News. Hey, what's going on? My name's Nate Bender, and welcome to Let's Play, a daily gaming news podcast where we run down everything you need to know from the gaming world in about five minutes. Coming up, GameStop finally fires someone worth firing, their CEO. And we'll check out the week that was in video game news with the Friday replay. Summer Games Fest officially kicked off yesterday, and to be perfectly honest, it was kind of a snooze fest. Most of the games that got me hyped were already shown off at Sony's PlayStation Showcase last month, though we did get some confirmations on some release dates, like Marvel's Spider-Man 2 releasing on October 20th. Spider-Man 2's director Ryan Smith also revealed that Venom is not based on the comics. So no Eddie Brock Venom and possibly no Oscorp Venom either. Alan Wake 2 got a more in-depth gameplay trailer showing off the FBI agent Saga Anderson. Rebony Entertainment also revealed that Alan Wake 2 will have two protagonists, Saga and Alan himself making a reprisal and players will have the ability to switch between them frequently to uncover the mysterious murders happening in Bright Falls and help Alan out of the dark place. Alan Wake 2 is slated for October 17th. Moving on to a couple of new reveals, Akira Toriyama has lent his art style to another game called Sandland. At first I was kind of thinking that we were getting a Chrono Trigger remake, however this looks to be an entirely new IP by Bandai Namco. Demons and humans work together to save their world, made I guess of sand. Sandland is also one of the few games that didn't get a release date. The Yakuza series is getting another installment called Like a Dragon The Man Who Erased His Name. I love a good short title, which seems to be a continuation of the Kiryu storyline that hasn't been hit on since Like Yakuza 6. Like a Dragon, the man who erased his name, Snappy Title, is slated for November this year. Continuing on, Sega graced us with a new Sonic called Sonic Superstars. However, instead of it being an open world mess or some sort of 3D nightmare, Sega went back to their 2D roots and made a modern side scrolling platformer. Sonic Superstars has an arbitrary fall release date. Now, onto Square Enix's showing. Square Enix showed off two Final Fantasy titles. The first is yet another mobile game called Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis, which is supposedly a compilation of Final Fantasy VII's story, spanning the original games Crisis Core, Dirge of Cerberus, and Before Crisis, though I don't have much faith that Square Enix will end up supporting this game even a year after it launches. Ever Crisis's closed beta is slated from now until June 28, but doesn't have a definitive release date. The second Final Fantasy VII game shown off was Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, the continuation of the Final Fantasy Remake series, which looks to be delving into the Nibelheim incident with some changes from the original game being hinted at in the trailer. One change in particular is the interaction between Tifa and Sephiroth at Nibelheim, which shows Sephiroth cutting down Tifa when she confronts him in the reactor, instead of Sephiroth disarming her and pushing her down the stairs. With the trailer, though, we got an arbitrary release date of January 2024, and Square Enix confirmed that this would be a two-disc PlayStation 5 game, which is pretty insane in the modern era of gaming. Overall, this Summer Games Fest was pretty okay, despite most of their announcements being sniped by Sony. With that being said, though, if you'd like to check out the full two-hour presentation, a link will be provided in today's show description. GameStop, the video game retailer plagued by mismanagement and shady dealings, has been having a rough week, announcing a huge loss of $50 million in the first financial quarter of 2023. And with GameStop hemorrhaging millions of dollars, the board of directors voted to fire CEO Matthew Furlong. The board also elected Ryan Cohen as executive chairman. Ryan Cohen was one of the activist investors back in 2021 who got a spot on the board. Cohen will be in charge of capital allocation and overseeing management. With both of these announcements, GameStop's stock lost 20 percent of its value in less than 24 hours, bringing the meme stock down to $21.50 a share and the stock will continue to fall if Cohen and the board of directors do not find a suitable replacement for Furlong. Wall Street analysts have also begun lowering their price targets for GameStop. Wedbush managing director Michael Pachter even went as far as to say he was quote convinced that GameStop is doomed. Citing the way Furlong was fired and how poorly GameStop has been managed, the writing is on the wall. Overall, the surprise firing of Furlong is probably too little too late at this point. GameStop is on a trajectory to bankruptcy whether he heads GameStop or not. All right, it's Friday, and this is normally where we would check out a podcast review, but we don't have any new ones, and I'm exhausted. So you know what? Apple Podcasts, Audible, Podcast Addict, CastBox, Podchaser, and Amazon, those are the places that we look for them. Leave us a review if you like what we do here. We'll read it sometimes on Friday. All right, let's get into some of the biggest stories from this week in gaming with the Friday Replay.
1: Ready to pop the question?
0: Last week, Konami confirmed what everyone had already kind of assumed, that Hideo Kojima and Kojima Productions are not involved in Metal Gear Solid Delta Snake Eater. Konami has contracted out the MGS3 remake to Virtuos, the studio behind Dark Souls Remastered, though Kojima's absence isn't my biggest worry anymore. Konami also confirmed that they were reusing the original voice performances from Metal Gear Solid 3. By reusing the original performances, voice actors like David Hayter, who voiced Naked Snake, will not receive residual payments for this brand new game, meaning that some of the most prolific voice actors that brought some of our favorite characters to life only received a one-time, most likely SAG scale pay from 2003 payment for a game that's been re-released four times already. While I'm hyped for Metal Gear Solid Delta Snake Eater, it's bittersweet watching yet again the gaming industry screw over these people who elevated these games with legendary performances. At Apple's annual Worldwide Developers Conference, the WWDC, we got a look at Apple's first new product in nearly a decade. At the end of WWDC, Tim Cook, Apple's CEO, revealed the Vision Pro, which is an augmented and virtual reality headset. The Vision Pro is built to seamlessly blend digital content with the physical world. Apple's Vision Pro is also the first VR headset to not require a high-end PC or console to function. Apple baked in all the required hardware into the headset itself, allowing users to essentially use the headset anywhere, though that comes with the compromise of having to be tethered to a power source of some kind, which includes a two-hour proprietary external battery or, for all-day use, a proprietary wall brick. Getting into the more technical side of the Vision Pro, it sports two micro OLED 4K displays the size of postage stamps, with the combined pixel density of around 23 million pixels. Each pixel is 7.5 microns wide, and to put that into perspective, a human hair on average is 70 microns in width. The Vision Pro has 12 cameras, 5 sensors and 6 microphones on the outside of the headset. This is to capture real-time data to map the AR and VR experiences for the user. There are also two cameras pointing downward to track hand movements for controllerless uses. On the inside, Apple is tracking eye movement with two infrared cameras. The eye tracking data is used to make AR and VR experiences more smooth, but allows for the Vision Pro to display your eyes in the front of the headset. For gaming specifically, the Vision Pro does support PS5 and Xbox Series X and S controllers, though you can play most traditional games without a controller using the AR keyboard and hand tracking. And it goes without question that it also supports most VR titles. Now for the burning question, how much does this cost? Well, in typical Apple fashion, this over-engineered headset is going to set people back $3,500, though that is expected since it's basically a Mac Pro shoved into a VR headset. Regardless of the price, though, this might actually be the game-changer the VR industry needs, though I'm still skeptical if this can pull off whatever Apple claims it can. However, we won't find out till the Vision Pro releases sometime early in 2024. The annual Guerrilla Collective Showcase put on by the media company The Mix started off this year's summer showcase season yesterday. And like every other indie showcase, it was entirely too long, maxing out at about 2 hours. With that said, though, there were some interesting titles shown off, like Remnant 2, obviously the sequel to Remnant from the Ashes. Remnant is widely considered the definitive Dark Souls shooter, and it fits that bill pretty well. And it seems that Gunfire Games has taken that concept and really fleshed out the systems from the first game, with several new enemies, guns, and melee weapons to fight in a post-apocalyptic Earth against other dimensional creatures. Remnant 2 is slated for sometime this summer. The next game that caught my eye is Iron Meat, which is a cyberpunk-style Contra-clone. Though, instead of infiltrating a military base, you're fighting against cybernetically enhanced meat. Iron Meat doesn't have a definitive release date, but is expected to drop in October. Getting into the RPGs, an interesting game that I'm surprised Nintendo hasn't made yet is Quest Maker, which at first looked like a Zelda Lynx Awakening clone of some kind. However, it was revealed to be a Zelda clone that allows you to make and share your own dungeons. Essentially, Zelda Maker. Quest Maker, however, doesn't have a release date. The other RPG that looks pretty fun is WrestleQuest, a turn-based RPG that reminds me of old-school Mario RPG, But is based entirely on wrestling tropes and icons, where you get to powerbomb your way to become an epic wrestling hero. Sadly, yet another game that doesn't have a release date, but one that I'm super excited for. The last game that I'll touch on is Corpo Nation, which is a basic life sim where you live day to day, doing mundane tasks for a corporation. Corpo Nation seems to follow the same social commentary as Papers, Please, where the gameplay is mostly there to facilitate the narrative, which in Corpo Nation's case is a story that revolves around a corporation that hides its real purpose from its employees, and you slowly find out what they're doing as time passes. And sadly, like most games shown off at the Guerrilla Collective Showcase, Corpo Nation does not have a release date. Overall, like every other game showcase, there was entirely too much to cover in such a short amount of time that we have here, so if you want to check out the full Gorilla Collective showcase, a link will be provided in today's show description. Earlier this week, Twitch did what they do best and announced something quietly at 4am that literally pissed off everyone, kind of similar to how Twitch changed the partnered streamers' revenue split last year. Twitch is again trying to squeeze money out of their users with a number of changes. The biggest and most controversial is their change to baked-in sponsorships. Twitch has restricted branded overlays to 3% of your screen size banned the use of burned-in ads, which burned-in ads refers to ads specifically played by the streamer themselves from brand deals and not through Twitch's bespoke ad system. Twitch also banned the use of banner ads and burned-in audio ads as well. This single change literally kills most esports events, video game showcases, and a huge portion of revenue for the small to medium-sized streamers. Hell, this even affects the charity streaming like Games Done Quick. Twitch also made quite a few additional quiet changes while everyone was rightfully raging about baked-in sponsorships. Twitch has gotten rid of their 15-day payout system and reverted back to the 45-day payout system, essentially delaying everyone's payments by 30 days. Twitch is illegally requiring affiliates to pay a $25 exit fee to leave their contracts, on top of adding the ban on simulcasting to their terms of service, restricting everyone, not just affiliates and partners, from streaming on competing platforms as well as Twitch. Holy shit this just keeps on going, with Twitch upping the cost of Twitch Turbo from $9 to $12 a month. Now, all of this begs the question, what the f**k is happening at Twitch? Well, the simple answer is that Twitch and its executive team are desperately trying to make Twitch more profitable. Though, instead of making an actual product to sell or improve the platform so more people stream, Twitch has decided to try to get their greedy little hands on the 140 of revenue they couldn't control, which has backfired on them in spectacular fashion because now large streamers are looking to jump ship, and Twitch's competition is looking more appealing despite all of the downsides of moving to a different platform. Now, Twitch did apologize for the burned-in ads debacle and said that they would be rewording and clarifying the change, but doesn't directly walk any of it back, which is, to be clear, corporate gaslighting, meaning that they will reword this change to try to trick streamers into thinking it's a good thing. And as of this recording, Twitch has not addressed the other issues. You can follow me on Twitter at Nate Benderama and catch me streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash LimitBreakRadio. My name's Nate Bender. Keep listening.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.